Hello, my name is Brad Klein. I'm with TurfNet Renovation Report, and we are with golf course architect Drew Rogers. Um, I want to thank our sponsors here, the Andersons, Golf Preservations, and Capillary Bunkers. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. Um, how does one get into the business of golf course architect? You know, there are only 200 of you, 250 of you in the United States. Um, well, we, we did something right, I think. Uh, a lot of luck, a lot of hard work, um, good timing. I know I, I get inquiries like that, it seems like, every other week, Brad. Um, you know, guys that have the dream of becoming an architect, and they reach out and, and say, how, how do we do it? And, and I always encourage them. I said, don't ever lose the dream. Don't ever stop. Don't ever quit because th that's, that's how we did it. You know, a lot of us, uh, we just kind of never, never gave up on the dream. So, um, you know, get good schooling. Landscape architecture is a good route. And um, you got to get some good breaks and meet some interesting people. You got to put yourself out there. Be willing to do some dirty work. And hopefully your number gets called. Uh, you were uh, with the Arthur Hills, the distinguished late, recently passed away, um, senior golf course architect. You were with him for 18 years. Is that right? Indeed. Indeed. A long run. And uh, was there an evolution in your skill set under his tutelage? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I came at it pretty green. Um, you know, I, I, I was a plan holder and a listener for, for quite a few years, um, rather dutiful. Um, but as, as you get exposed to uh, what's going on in, in, uh, in the office and out in the field and listening, learning, um, sooner or later you get your chance and you get to express yourself a little bit. And I think that's all that that's what happened to all of us in the office. Ultimately, we um, earned the opportunity to express ourselves a little bit in our work and, and um, get creative and become more integrated into the design approach with art. And, you know, it happened at a time when art was really, really busy too. I'm sure you recall that whole era. Oh, sure. Uh, so much going on. Art, you like to keep tabs on everything, but there's just, you reach a point where you can't. Um, there was so much going on. So it was, it was really on us to step up and uh, to take control of these projects and to be the face of the, of the firm on many of these projects. So uh, it worked out great for me. Uh, I think if I had worked for anybody else, I might not have ever gotten those opportunities. So um, it was great. Uh, when you were with him, uh, they were opening up golf courses. Uh, it seemed like two, three a day. I couldn't keep track as a journalist yeah. with the openings. And uh, since you've gone off and hung up your own shingle on your own in 2010, the market has shifted dramatically. It's much more oriented toward uh, renovation work and restoration. Um, the um, and you've you've been involved in some interesting projects. Um, and some classical ones, Old Elm in particular, uh, which was an old Harry Colt, and Donald Ross was the construction uh, supervisor, although uh, Colt called him Douglas Ross in the documentation. 
Can you tell us a little? Can you tell us a little bit about your work there and your work with the superintendent there? Because I know he was very uh, hands-on in, in the implementation of your plan. He was definitely hands-on, and he was uh, uh, a person that that I was already familiar with before he came to Chicago and landed the old Elm position. Um, uh, remind us of his name, though. Uh, Curtis James. Of course, that's right. Yeah. yeah, he's uh, an Ohio State grad from Ohio. Um, he worked at Wingfoot and Marion and Bel Air, uh, Country Club, Pepper Pike. Uh, he was all over the place. And um, he, the, the story goes back, and it's kind of uh, interesting. I was working at Manor Country Club in, um, in, in Maryland, outside of D.C., right. and I was doing some research on William Flynn golf courses because Manor had some ties to William Flynn. So I went to Philly and was touring golf courses. And I happened to be at, at Marion. I was at Marion East and I was touring the golf course with, with Matt Schaefer, the longtime superintendent there. And about the time we finished up, he said, Hey, if, if you got anything coming up, uh, you need a good superintendent. I got one. I got one that's ready to go. And that happened to be Curtis James. So it was probably a month later. I called Matt and I said, is your guy still available? And he said, you bet he is. So he ended up coming to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky to be the super, the superintendent and the grow-in guy uh, for the, the club at Old Stone that I did mm -hmm. with Art which uh, is a pretty premier club in the state of Kentucky, as it turns out. But um, Curtis came on, and he he was just a bull on that one. It was one of the best grow-ins I've ever been a part of. And you, you could really tell the talent and the passion and the hard work that this guy could put into a project. And then he, you know, his hair's on fire all the time. So he's got to be moving. He's got to be doing things. So he went to Chicago. Um, worked at uh, another club first. The the name of that club escapes me at the moment, but then he ended up landing Old Elm. And he'd been at Old Elm for about a year, and I had just gone on my own, Brad, and, and he called me one morning and he said, hey, Drew, I think I need some help. I need some help here at Old Elm. Do you think you could you could pay me a visit? And I said, well, when do you need me there? And he goes, tomorrow. <laughs> so... I jumped in the car. I said, I'll be there. I'll be there in the morning. Yep. And I'd never been to Old Elm before. I'd heard of it, but uh, never had the privilege of being on property. But I spent that whole next day, and I think it was the day after as well, just touring and getting to know the property. And uh, he says, hey, we're going to restore Colt. And I said, then let's go. There was, there was no uh, uh, interview. There was... Uh, no meeting with a committee, none of that. Um, he basically just appointed me and introduced me to his GM, Kevin Marion, and off we went. And that's the way it all happened. And we worked together for, I don't know, I guess it was probably seven or eight years chipping away at that thing. Uh, wasn't there another architect who did some shaping work with you, Dave Zinkin? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we knew we needed another partner. Uh, when we got to the point where we were going to dig into the bunkers. And I said, uh, hey, let, let, I got a buddy 
Dave Zinkin. He he spent some time with us in Hill's office, and uh, I know he's shaping for Core Crenshaw. Let's give him a call, see what his schedule looks like, see if he's interested. Uh, we flew him into Chicago. We looked at it together. We talked about what we wanted to do. Uh, and then we took Curtis out to Bandon uh, to see uh, Dave do some work on some bunkers on Bandon trails for a couple of days. And during that whole time, we just kind of pulled our team together, got some camaraderie going, and it just seemed like it was going to fit. And it, and it absolutely did. Um, Dave was just an extension of me out in the field every day and, and <laughs> creative in his own right. I mean, he's an architect as well. So we were really blessed to have a team like that. Now, uh, there's some pretty severe slopes into those greens at Old Elm. You, you, you shaved everything back. Uh, I'm not sure it's possible to keep a ball on, that's on the right side of the second green, for example. You've got a double yeah. green. You've got a double green on a part of three. I think it's 17 and uh, yep. somewhere. Uh, <laughs> was Curtis okay with that? or Was, he, did it, was there ever a point in which he said, uh, I don't know if I can pin this or you know, my members are going to revolt? Or how did that go? Oh, I don't think you'd ever hear, hear Curtis uh, uh, revolt on something like that. He, he's sort of a masochist. Um, the harder, the better. But no, he he was uh, pretty realistic about some of the greens as well. He he, uh, he tends to hear it from a few of the members from time to time. So yeah, there was a couple of spots that we needed to shave down and we needed to soften. Um, there was a handful of greens that we touched. Seventeen. The par three that you spoke of, that was one that required a little bit more significant work uh, than, than the others. But I would say, I, I would say we fashioned that work as, as being rather touch up. Um, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't too uh, invasive at all. Uh, our guest on Renovation Report is Drew Rogers. Um, we're gonna take a break here. We'll be back after a message from our sponsors. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. 
Since 2005, Gulf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit GulfPreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Uh, we're back on the on the renovation report with golf course architect uh, Drew Rogers. He was telling us about the work, uh, fairly bold and aggressive work at Old Elm on the north side of Chicago. You've been involved in a number of interesting um, restoration projects. Uh, down in Miramar Lakes in Florida, you took a modern Art Hills course and kind of retrofitted it into a version of, of Seth Rayner at Kenosha Country Club, which is a pretty pristine Donald Ross course. You've been working there for a while at Knollwood on the Charles Allison. But you've mentioned uh, to me beforehand um, a really interesting project in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, um, one of the few courses there not done by Pete Dye at the American Club or uh, <laughs> Whistling Straits, the Pine Hills uh, Country Club. And uh, tell us about the restoration of a, uh, what is it, a Harry Smead course from 1928? Where do you go for uh, the, uh, where's the Harry Smead uh, society where do they have their annual meetings i think in a nearby a nearby bar i'm not sure um we don't know much about harry smead i think he only built three golf courses to his name and i don't think all of those are still in existence so uh we didn't have much to go on there and and that's okay because what you all you really need to know is what's on the ground there already yeah. and um it is a really special place i know i I chatted with you a little bit earlier about it and some of the most phenomenal green surfaces I've ever seen, some really dramatic terrain, um, amazing flow from tea to green, from hole to hole. The whole experience is, is just phenomenal. And um, yeah, I was appointed a few years ago to come in and, and be their consulting architect. Um, you know, it, it wasn't the typical master plan type effort, Brad. It, it's just been um, prioritizing some improvements here and there, uh, meeting a couple of times a season with a, a group that's going to remain intact for the foreseeable future and make decisions that are that are solid ones for the club. Uh, tell us about uh, what happens when you work on a golf course with, let's say, less than a master plan. I think a lot of clubs and superintendents for that matter are reluctant uh, for bringing in help with an architect because they may be afraid that they're going to try to blow the thing up and rebuild and uh, frankly there have been some architects who would like to do that but the market's changed and people are smarter and uh, they're a lot more careful about how they spend their money and i think architects are a little more cautious these days in terms of uh, what makes sense from a return on investment business sense so how do you how do you go in and gain their confidence and assess and let them know that you're not out to, you know, rebuild the golf course. You just want to bring out what's there. What sure. do you look at? What do you look at? What do you, you know? Well, I think the first thing that, that I do, I, I like to look at the golf course for what it is already and, and sort of assess what I see, um, have some impressions, good, bad, indifferent, and, and see where that leaves us. So many times, as you know, renovations start out with as being 
infrastructure replacements first. You know, when the when the irrigation starts to to uh, uh, fail and greens need rebuild and the bunkers are too hard to maintain and the, the turf is all all messed up, um, tees are out of level, whatever it is, um, that 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 tends to be where where you start focusing on a renovation and and probably get engaged with an architect but um all that's good and well but at the same time it's really important to look at the golf course for what it is as a whole figure out what its identity is does it serve its users the way it should does it fit what the club needs it to be uh is it manageable for the superintendent or it could be a lot of different things but I like to give the golf course the benefit of the doubt first and foremost, and then see where we go from there. Uh, I gather Harry Smeet did a little bit of work for Langford and Moreau, who are, by my way of thinking, the two most underappreciated architects from the golden age. And there's very little of their work intact uh, to worth, uh, worth studying. Do you see, did you see any connection in the, uh, either historically or in uh, the golf course itself, you know, the old fill pads, the big vertical steep bunkers, anything like that that would suggest? There, there's some hints, I guess you could say, um, especially around the green complexes. It, it seems every bunker is deep and steep. But I will say this, and if you've been to near La, nearby uh, Lawsonia. Sure. Uh, uh, if you yeah. haven't, by the way, everybody should go there. There should be a pilgrimage. <laughs> uh, Langford Moreau, who worked in the 20s and 30s, uh, that's their monument. That's their National Golf Links. That's their Pine Valley. It is a stunning piece of work. Uh, I got to give credit to Ron Force on that one, I think. Uh, sure. And sure. Uh, the management team as well, who's been running it. But that is a, a mecca to visit. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And, and if you look at Lasonia and then you compare it to Pine Hills, Pine Hills is like the, it, it's, it, it's Mother Nature's version of Langford and Moreau, hmm. if, if there is such a thing. If, if you look at Lasonia and you stand out and look at the landscape, you look at one side of the property to the other, especially if you're on some of those back nine holes where you have a long view, you can see across the landscape where, where the steam shovels entered the site and where they left the site from one side to the other. So hmm. everything out there has been created. And that doesn't make it a bad thing. It's just what it is. And Langford and Moreau really were masterful in the way they built landforms and create a lot of drama with the green complexes and the bunkering and, and some of the angles out there. But flash over to Pine Hills, for example, it, it's more by Mother Nature. It's more the rooting. And it's every bit as bold as Lawsonia. And, and certainly the greens are extremely special, um, probably more so than than most of them at Lasonia, and that's saying something. Uh, but it just tends to be uh, more of a, a natural expression uh, of, of boldness. When you're working on a project like that, are you uh, presenting them with a document, master plan, with detailed priorities, budgets, all that other stuff, cost at current, you know, th that the full plan, or is it more, let's go out and see what we can do this year? Well, as you know, that, that would tend to be the more typical approach. And, and that's more the master plan approach. And you're yeah. working with a committee and 
the budget's created and there's all these goals and plans developed. And a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings, a lot of meetings for sure. Um, at Pine Hills, it is very different. They basically put together a, um, a, a committee that is charged with interacting with their architect. And so we get together a few times a year and we've already started sort of a, a broad list of things that we want to keep in our mind and we want to continue to monitor and we want to look at, okay, how much money is flowing in here this year? What do we have to play with? What do we want to prioritize? Mm -hmm. What can we squeeze out this year that's going to make an impact and play off of the momentum that we've already started? And that tends to be how we're working. It, it's very different than, um, than, than most uh, of the projects and clients that I have. Um, uh, when you're when you're working with the superintendent on that basis, are there things that you find that maybe this is specific to Pine Hill or maybe this is generic to projects across the board? Are there areas that you know will have a major significant impact, like tree management opening up or greens expansion, or you know, what's the what do you start with to to showcase what they could have when they're done? What. If that, uh, makes, if that makes sense as a question. <laughs> well, you, you hit on trees, and that's a really good place to start. Um, it's rare that I see a property that doesn't need some sort of uh, touch in the landscape to open views or open plane angles or uh, even to grow better turf. And in most cases, I'm usually working with a superintendent whom I like to call a partner. Um, we work together, we work in tandem. And once we both understand and absorb the, the, the vision for what we're going to do, they're really the guys that are out there looking to execute it each and every day when I'm not there. I just show up once in a while and we, we continue to make decisions and, and, and move forward and prioritize and add to the list. Um, but those guys are there. They've got to understand the vision. They've got to be able to visualize and execute what we've, what we've concentrated on. So, yeah, I mean, trees are a big deal. And once the trees are, are sort of plucked away as needed, the golf course starts to reveal itself and the playing strategies can be restored and the angles start to be, uh, represented again and and all the shots tend to open up my job is really to explain to this committee and with the superintendent what this is supposed to be and what the intent is you know if we do this if we take these trees out if we make this shift if we mm -hmm. turn the angle of the t if we shave a little bit out of the front bunker and open up the entry of the green whatever it is I'm there to educate. I'm there to expose them to something they've never really considered before. And it's not their fault. It's just, that's my job. And from that, we'll start to prioritize where we're going to make the greatest impact for, for the money that's available. And then we'll chip away at it. Do you find one area that I've been intrigued by, uh, partly because there's some benefit, but also some cost, is uh, eliminating the intermediate cut. Uh, I've always found it's very helpful in the in the Midwest and the Northeast to get rid of that so that you have a contrast and you can start seeing the angles and the 
and and the slopes and all that. Um, and in the process, you widen out the fairways a little bit. Of course, you then raise the issue of the guy who the person, the golfer who misses the fairway by four inches and is on the low side where all the fertilizer and water runs is in the heaviest grass. But I figure that's you know probably worth it. But that's I mean, do you find that and plus you're saving money because you there's you know several hundred. Uh, well, several, probably several hundred hours you're saving in a year sure. of not having to do that cut. Is that one area that you're seeing or is that, am I making too much of that? Oh, I don't know they're making it too much of it. I don't know that I encounter an intermediate cut that often anymore. Um, probably for all the things that, for reasons that you've just outlined. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of times it, it gets eliminated. It's one of the first things to get eliminated because it, it, it does take more time. It takes more energy um that that grass is usually the the first grass to check out when things get stressed and um so it's it's sort of an easy give back uh but at the same time we're working to get fairways widened in a lot of cases so maybe we don't really need an intermediate cut if if the fairway is already wide and it's it's using the ground the way it's supposed to um you know, maybe that's more important. Um, are there lessons already? How, how long have you been involved at Pine Hill, by the way? How long has this been? Uh, it's been a couple of years now. It's so are there lessons that are already generalizable to other clubs about how to start the process of evaluating and assessing your golf course? Oh, I, uh, I wish the good folks that I work with and the folks that hired me were on uh, th- for you to ask that question right now because I, I think they'd be the better the better response. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think their un- their understanding of what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it just happened to align very well with the way I I observed the golf course and communicated with them when we first met. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's any more than that. Um, they really knew that they had have something special. They don't want to screw it up. And um, they just needed to find the right partner to work with them. And someone who wasn't going to go crazy, someone that understood who they were and, and valued what that golf course is. And we, we just synergized. And I would imagine some of this is driven by a certain kind of a fiscal conservatism as well. So, um, and that can be a virtue in many cases. As one of the experiences I've had with lots of places is that some of the most interesting old preserved courses are the ones that were the cheapest or that didn't want to spend the money or didn't have the money. And you know what? 60, 70 years later, places like Whitensville in uh, Massachusetts or Tiujica, or it sounds like uh, Kenosha as well. Um, yeah, have a lot going for them. No, Kenosha is another really great example. And the first time I saw Kenosha, <laughs> I, I, I was blown away and I was grossed out at the same time. You know, because it's just been sitting there forever and ever and ever. But I could see it. I knew yeah. what I was looking at. Yeah, and all the all the bunkering, all of the bold lines. They're they're stuck in the trees. Right, and and you've got all these silver maples and red maples planted like soldiers down both sides of the fairways. I mean, it, it had really been turned into a park and, you know, I, I could see it and, and it was all there. The greens had never been touched. Uh, 
you know, the, the tees are too small. They didn't really serve play the way need, they need to today versus when the golf course was built or however it's evolved. And the bunkering was just, it was nondescript and, and, and hadn't been touched for years. Most of them had been filled in. So all we had to do was peel back the layers and it presents itself perfectly fine again. Um, but, you know, it's just amazing the impact that trees have had. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but um, you go out and you see the landscape there now and you see how the holes blanket across the property. And it, it's, uh, it's a completely different perspective than what was there, you know, five, six years ago, which is really neat. Well, it's nice when those ghost bunkers are there in the woods. You can go hang out and look at them, and it's sort of obvious if you just once you start taking them seriously. As a, as a, and a lot of clubs, you know, Oak Hill was like that for years up in Rochester. Those the the old forms were sitting there. Um, we see that a lot, but it's it does take a certain kind of uh, turning point, and I don't know whether that's a cultural thing with the membership, or it's a decision by the board, or it's maybe maybe the superintendent can can be uh, the source of that innovation and, um, to, you know, determination to take a, a bold step. Um, I think it can be, it can be any of those, those folks uh, at any given club. I, I know at Pine Hills, it, it's probably a combination of, um, you know, some really passionate um, members that have a real good set of eyes in their head and a real good golfing mind and a good superintendent. At, at Kenosha, it, it, it was really a partnership with the superintendent from the beginning. Um, and, and so a little bit different there. And we're really working hard to educate the leadership of the club and the members come along with. Uh, so it can be a little bit different, but you, you just got to find the right people that are inspired. And then, you know, let's light a fire. Let's go. Let's go figure this out. And hopefully you're lucky enough to push through. Well, when I do another edition of my uh, Discovering Donald Ross, I'll have to include a section now on Kenosha. So there's more <laughs> and more of these, and it's great. It's, uh, I think the restoration movement uh, has really changed the way people ex um, understand golf course architecture. Uh, and given the fact that there's the big shift has been from new to uh, reclaiming old in the design business, it's, uh, it's great to see that you're involved this way. Our guest is... Uh, golf course architect drew rogers for the renovation report brad klein and i want to thank you and thank our sponsors um, the, the andersons golf preservation and capillary bunkers we'll see you next time thank you Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.